Welcome to the Primal Anarchy Podcast, episode number 23. It is December 6th, 2019. I am your co-host, Kevin Tucker, and with me as always, from now on, your co-host, <laughs> Natasha Tucker. Hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, first off, gotta say, uh, had really great responses to the last episode, and people seem to enjoy us and i seem to enjoy us as well i'm so i'm, I'm so happy to hear that i have a, I'm, this is amazing i love this yeah there will be a lot more of this we're gonna get better thank you for having me <laughs> anyway <laughs> um a quick quick thing here uh we just saw jojo rabbit um it was so good it's a movie and it's awesome it really was it was amazing it's great mm-hmm. especially when you have an era of fascists and everything like that absolutely Anything mocking Hitler and Nazis is, you can't get enough of it, but also, it's fucking great. Best it, movie of 2019. It addresses the entire, like, Nazi Germany World War II situation in such a way that it's, like, never been addressed before. But it's perfect for right now. And also fucking hilarious. It's very funny. And yeah. also, it was very, like, the whole movie ended up being extremely, like, heartwarming. Like, we, we were teary-eyed. We were. Mm-hmm. We were. So... Yeah, there's our little random plug. That's, mm-hmm. our, that's our pick of the week. Mm-hmm. Let us know. If you see it, let us know what you think about it. Motherfuckers. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> but yeah, so um, and also in terms of listener feedback, we have gotten a good bit. Um, and we have had some people that are very excited about the projects that are coming up, which has us excited because that is the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to reiterate from the last episode, if you did not listen to last episode, that would be episode 22. Um Check it out. Uh, we talk a lot about what's coming up for Black and Green. We've got 20 years of Black and Green coming up in 2020, which is like a month away, not even. Weeks, I weeks away. I can't believe it. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff we want to do. Uh, and we'll be talking a little bit more about some of the stuff that we've got going on. But we talked a lot more about it there. Some people talking about, we're talking about doing like, like even graphic novels, comics, like any kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Plus obviously books, shirts, posters, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some people who are excited, and if you're excited about that as well, or if that sounds exciting to you, the more the merrier. Absolutely. We've had some good responses already, which is very exciting. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we did mention on that episode that we do have, we're, we're always looking for a better word for community. Um, like we're, we're writers. We're words. writers. We love words. We love words. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to find, I feel like our language is so... Um, it's been so watered down in a way. Like there's words lose their meaning and then they take on new meaning. And then sometimes it just, it's hard to find the language to, to talk about a lot of things where, where you're not. It's hard to like find the right words. Yes. Mm-hmm. And some things go awry. So we had, right. and I'm not bringing this up to shame anybody. I can't, you can't blame people for things that they don't know or are unaware of. Uh, but we did have one person who's like a word already exists. That word is tribe. No. Big no. Um, so the word tribe, like, I mean, uh, I think Sebastian Younger wrote the book Tribe, which I know a lot of people have been into, or even people I've mm-hmm. talked to, even though it talks about soldiers, it talks about um, PTSD and the role of, of community mm-hmm. within, like, how you heal from it. Like, so there's efforts to kind of get this thing going, but the CrossFit thing and everybody's like, oh, we're the tribe of this, we're the tribe mm-hmm. of that. Tribe is a specific delineation that just let it go. 
Mm-hmm. Like even even like groups like uh, Survival International have really gone a long way to move away from the concept of tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, and tribe is a word that is really just like a colonial delineation. Mm. Um, and you can even look at stuff like people would probably be like, oh, the great anim. At one point, they were said like the great animanese are a tribe. It's like mm, there's like thirty people, and they were the subjects of um, genocide. And between the 30 people, they speak 10 languages. Mm-hmm. Like, tribe can be based on a language group, mm-hmm. not even necessarily, like, mutually understandable languages often, but, like, it's, it's kind of, an, it's just a nonsense. So, thing. are you saying it's an outdated term, but also is, does it tend to be a little bit derogatory? It's it's more like, I mean, it's derogatory in the sense that people will just say, like, tribal war is a reason to not acknowledge um the consequences or the details of why war indigenous like warfare between indigenous groups or warfare directed at indigenous groups happening like Steven Pinker very famously would be like tribal warfare is a reason to say that hunter gatherers had a more like violent mm-hmm. existence mm-hmm. because he could say it's like tribal warfare if a horticultural or um, pastoral neighbor is at war with a hunter gatherer band mm-hmm. or hunter gatherer society. Well, that's just tribal warfare. It's like no, that's the expanses of colonialism. And uh, there's a really good piece um, Neil Whitehead has. There's this book, uh, ironically, War in the Tribal Zone. Uh, this book is, I, I don't remember if it's from the 80s or uh, I can find out. 1992. It's from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got really awesome stuff. R. Brian Ferguson, who I cite all the time, mm-hmm. uh, and Neil Whitehead uh, have a lot of stuff in it. But Neil Whitehead has an essay in here called Tribes Make States and States Make Tribes, which I've actually cited a lot in um, Gather man's a bit of a cold personality. I think mm-hmm. this stuff's important. But I'm going to read a little bit on that from him. Uh, it has been argued that tribal organization is itself only a particular response to European state contact, with the corollary that this tribalization involves a degradation of pre-existing political formations by the chieftaincies or ethnic groups. On the basis of ethno-historical evidence about European colonial expansion, this judgment seems substantially correct. Indeed, a more extensive and detailed reading of this evidence might allow some resolution of current disputes over the origins and characteristics of tribes. So, I mean, it's just really important to always be ready to check language, and that's why Mm -hmm. we struggle with some of the words, and that's why we struggle with some of the wording. But you've got to be really cognizant of just because some of your people are using a word, those words have meanings, and typically those meanings have a lot more context for indigenous societies, or colonized societies. I mean, um, thank you for pointing that out. I do feel like it's a tr- uh, word that is used fairly often right now, like sort of just in a pop culture kind of way. So sometimes I think when th- when that happens to words, when they're popularized like that, uh, we don't have a good understanding of where they come from. No, and it's like um, it's like the word shaman. Unless you're talking about a Siberian shaman, you're not talking about a shaman. Also all kinds a of good humans. thing to point out. Yes. So in case you're unaware, Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about things like cultural appropriation, the terms themselves are things to be cognizant of. Mm-hmm. These things have specific origins. That's that. Like, mm-hmm. you just got to be, it's not like I'm just trying to shame people for it or anything like that. I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. But, like, be cognizant of if it. You send a, if you send us a message, we're not going to necessarily call you out on this podcast. <laughs> Only every Try once us. in a while. <laughs> so, yeah. We won't call you by name. We won't call you by name. We'll just call you by definition. 
<laughs> no, we really won't. But that no. is a very, it's a super, thank you for whoever wrote in. It's a super, this is a super important concept to discuss. And it's also continued from last time where we talked about how sometimes there isn't good language for things. Yes. And case in point. Right. So thank you for the feedback. Despite our nitpicking, <laughs> you gotta get that. We're, we do this to each other too. We we sure do. We're tough on words. We are really tough on words. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but speaking about things that we are excited about, uh, we do want to get some more feedback as well on some ideas that we've been kicking around. We really like the idea of doing like a anti-civ green anarchist whatever primal anarchy book club mm-hmm, we re- love the idea rewilding book club mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it um an awesome book club an awesome book club mm-hmm. no idea what that would look like <laughs> well how would we do it our our problem is like black and green exists sort of in the ether so where would we how would you have a book club if you're not all in the same room like how would we discuss it I don't know. I know a lot of things are like, we'll just have a Facebook group. No. But it's not satisfying to discuss things over a Facebook group. It's not satisfying for us, that's for sure. I mean, and it's I doubt just it's not satisfying for me. I don't know. But we get really excited about books. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. Like, the the nice thing about a book club, right, is that, like, hopefully or, like, usually you're sitting together in a room with people and then you get to have this, like, fun interaction, like, where the book sort of, like, starts this conversation amongst people. But how do we do that in this sort of, like... How do we do that with people who are, like, spread out possibly all over the world? Yeah. It's hard for us to tell because given our demeanor, we like to read. We know what we both like to hear. We know what we like to read. We like to read exciting things. And if we can't high-five other people in a book club, it gets a little hard. How does that translate? I don't know. But yeah. we're open to ideas. Yeah. And I said, is there a way that we could have people call into this radio program, to this podcast? But we're not, sh- we're not really sure how that works yet. Yeah. We'll but I think that. that would be a good way. That's, there's potential for that. But maybe other people know what they're doing. We don't know. Or are there, is there some way to have a group chat? We're we just really we're not sure. So if anybody has feedback on that, or if you think that that sounds like a good idea, let us know what you think. Who wants to talk about books? Just let us uh, just, just let's start there. I did get really good reactions to the three episodes I did on book recommendations, and I've gotten pretty good reactions when people say like, or when I've mentioned a book on here. I I think. I don't know. It seems like it goes over pretty well. People seem to be. I mean, I hope people are interested listening to the podcast and the books because black and green is books first. Yeah. I mean, I think that if people, usually people who love to read love to talk about what they're reading. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're unaware, black and green, there's us, (laughs) a publishing company. The main thing we do is books. Natasha and I are both writers. We have written. Indeed books uh-huh. and we will be writing a lot more books and we hope that people will read them as much as our as great as our riffing is but the book club doesn't have to be just our books kevin we're talking about all kinds of books are we talking about the same thing <laughs> of course it's our books <laughs> no, no, no 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 i mean i read i read our books you're going in the wrong daily. direction <laughs> okay, no other people's books but yeah, yeah we'll right. go through the book recommendations and also just other things and we've already got like a kind of small stack of books that we are reading from a little bit today, mm-hmm. little bits here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, we do. So we get excited about books. Yeah. So give us some feedback on that and how you think we could best have a book club um, with people who are like not all in the same town. And also, we are also trying to figure out online courses. Um, we definitely are. There's been some interest in these things, but like in particular, 
Uh, like Natasha's new website is up, natashatucker.org. Woo-hoo. That's natashatucker.org. T-U-C-K-E-R. <laughs> and so um, there's some stuff on there. There's also a link on there for Women Folk, mm-hmm. which is the name that you got for, speaking of trouble with words, what we were calling. This is, so, this is such a touchy situation. It's a bit of nails. I don't know how to talk about any of the things that I do. So just go on the website and see for yourself. If you have any questions, let us know. Well, what are you calling the current class? The class that I'm teaching right now? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's called an herbal intensive. It was called like an herbal medicine intensive. It's not a very flashy name. So uh, Natasha has given that as the name. Let me just describe what it really is. The way that Natasha approaches this stuff is different than most things are going to Kevin do. attended a class last I weekend. attended a class yes. last weekend. I'm, I'm hot and ready to go on it. <laughs> he helped us too. Yeah. I mean, like, it was, it's amazing. And it's been, like, your focus is with women primarily. Well, I do love to work with women and, you know, uh, anyone who identifies as a woman with women. I mean, that's very broad. I'm not yeah. saying – I'm not trying to make any definition uh, really around the idea of women. It's just it's... if you identify as a woman with women, like, it's very broad. Yeah. But, yeah, my, my interest is in – Women. Yeah. Yeah. In that broad yes. definition. Yes. 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 Um, but like the, the way that you approach herbalism, like a lot of people be like, you're going to identify these plants and you're going to do this and that. We're going to follow recipes. Natasha does not, you don't, you don't need like the guidebooks on how to be making all these things. You just, you genuinely know the plants. And it's like the approach that Natasha's had to rewilding is much more intuitive and like driven by your own intuition, which is extraordinary. But that intuition was based off of like an experience of rewilding that was really about like going out and building connections. For sure. So instead of just being like, we're going to learn about these plants in this setting and go in this setting, it's like, you need to learn about sit spots. You need to learn about observation. You need to understand the relationship plants have with the world at large and really trying to understand plants on an intrinsic level and then approach like the trauma that underlies a lot of like the ailments that people are going to be bringing, but also the ailments themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's like a very holistic, a bed of nails in terms. It's so hard to Holistic, intuitive herbalism. I but know. like there, every one of those ones has a pitfall on its own. Yeah. We'll come up with a better one some way. Yeah. But like, I mean, it's really, I feel like any of the classes that I end up teaching are just sort of, I mean, they're, they're based on the idea of rewilding. So it's this idea of like reconnection and reconnecting (laughs) i touched the microphone a little bit my apologies um but the idea of reconnecting to you know whatever place that you're learning in whatever the land base is around you um and so whether that's an herbalism course or uh i have i have like taught a lot about gardening in the past and um i know and uh (laughs) Uh, you know, more uh, like wilderness survival skills and that kind of thing. It's all kind of from the the place of well, h- how do we how do we deepen our connection and how do we reconnect and and what what actually is the process of rewilding as I understand it? Yeah, and I mean like the but the result of it is is like the same kind of thing. Like you can't deal with any one of these things without looking at the bigger picture. You can't deal with it without talking about civilization. Yeah. You can't talk about it without dealing about the trauma of domestication. Right. And um, I mean, so like the, the experience of it is wholly different and great. And it's like an awesome, like the course is awesome. So like Natasha's looking into ways to like make that course or courses like it. Uh, and this kind of like guided 
It's like uh, it's like I don't know even how you'd say it. Like if we if I was going to do it in distance format, it would be like helping people reconnect or like just helping people reconnect to the place that they are in. But then there are like sort of pieces of knowledge and skills that you that are helpful to like impart to someone even though like I'm not in the same place with them. Does that make any sense at all? I'll put it this way. You really know your shit and you know how to teach people really well. And Thank you for say, saying like, so many nice things. It's all true. But it's like Thank I always you. think about like, um, you know, uh, what Robin is like a book like that. I've said people yeah. like this book, like, you know, you can find all kinds of issues with like people behind, yeah. this, behind the scenes and then people within these milieus and all the Ponzi schemes that exist and the rewilding and survival skills and right. skills movements. Like, if you sidestep that, there are still aspects like a book like What a Robin Knows. Like, for me, 10 years of, like, observation would go into, like, the basic findings of what you could get from one single book. And right. so there's, like, there's great guides and there's great resources. And you are both those things. Uh, Thank you again for saying so many nice things. It's just, it's true. I like, mean, the thing is, like, 20 years ago or whatever it was when I started sort of, like, going along this path, I did do the Kamana program through the Wilderness Awareness School, like, out west. And, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if people are still doing that or, like, if people think it's totally bogus or what. But I have to say, that started me off on, like, a fantastic foot because that was a distance course. Yeah. It totally, like, somehow through the process of that course, it encouraged me to, like, go to my local parks and, like, get in there. And then I have had the experience of really being, like, of learning through being immersed, like, in the outdoors, you know, in the ecosystems that I've lived in. So, I, I mean, I know that it can work. It's just, like, trying to figure out how how to, like, best do that using what's available to us now, too. Yeah, as far so as like internet and it's not like rewild university's online ninja training program <laughs> sure they're great I'm sure if you're they're... looking for that if you're it's looking probably for that, not that you can there's probably a podcast for you there's probably a lot and you probably have to pay for them but like just in terms of like going through the stuff and like really trying to like lay, lay out the really intensive stuff or be able to have like an interactive experience of going through it you know, like, talking about the primal hierarchy stuff, talking about the history of civilization, mm-hmm. talking about collapse, talking about, like, all these aspects to, like, offer something that's more intensive than just, like, here's a book or here's a podcast. Um, like, with, the, with what you do, it makes a lot more sense. And then, like, but we're talking about what these courses could look like. If that's something people are interested in. Yeah. Again, feedback. Feedback. What would you want to see? Does that sound interesting? What would you want to hear from us? Like... We're interested in, we're really interested in just like going in some new directions, right? That we haven't gone in before. So we're um, really, really wanting feedback on these things. Yeah. And it's also great because we can really like, we feed off each other obviously and like get into the stuff on our own and go through all these different paths um, in our own right. But sometimes it's just really good to be like going through it and getting into the nitty gritty of all the details of, of all of it with people and having people just like. Asking questions and looking for specific things to give us ideas we just hadn't come across or like come like ways of presenting it that right. are different. Which I mean, that's you know, that's what we do. We challenge each other all the time, and right. that that produces the idea of being more articulate about what we're doing, more articulate about where we're going, and the directions of it all. And I'd say that's important. Oh, for sure. And actually, I, I just want to shout out to the students that I have right now because that 
the women in that class have been absolutely incredible and also a little bit willing to be like guinea pigs in a way because I haven't I didn't teach that class before either either before either I can't say that sentence right now but um they've been really wonderful and to watch them grow uh throughout the class is like I mean it's like fed me in a way that I didn't know was going to so thanks thank you to them it's been awesome too like I, I went for the class last week and I was the guinea pig of like you were. for people who had uh not, you were a good sport <laughs> who had, you know going in to talk about um herbal treatments for ailments and going in for like you know chronic pain issues i have and we used kevin as a case study like uh we do so you know so i want my students to be able to walk out of the class able to like sit down with say like a client or a friend or whoever it is that's coming to them and and like go through the process of like well let me talk to this person and let me figure out what they need and then what am I going to offer them you know as far as um like what they're needing as far as healing goes or whatever it is so Kevin came in and was like the case study for that day which makes me excellent because I am the game operation for this kind of thing (laughs) I've got all the problems it really puts you on the spot it did and we ended up getting into some pretty like intense um like emotional yeah. conversations from that. And you were really willing to share a lot, which was amazing. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty powerful experience. You guys should have been there. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And I think that like, there's, there's a lot more to it. It's not just a matter of being like, I'm going to go into this class and learn about 10 herbs or 10 plants. And then like that and learn how to make some concoctions. You do do those things, but like, it's not that at all. So, just thank you, Kevin. Feedback. What? Give us, give us thank feedback. You. Feed us back. Feed us back. Tell us what you want. Tell us what you think about this. Okay. And then um, also just speaking about things and feedback. Mm-hmm. We went to Cahokia. Yeah, we yesterday. went to Cahokia. It was Natasha's first time, mm-hmm. my 100th. And also I think good for you to be able to see because I'm always like, I, people kind of look at me like I'm crazy sometimes about this stuff because I'm always talking about class. I'm always saying, it's like, it's there, it's there, it's there. I grew up in St. Louis. Right across the river from St. Louis is Cahokia. It was a collapsed civilization, collapsed 1250 AD. Right. And it is in the heart of a dying civilization. And dying in the most literal ways imaginable. Right. The area around the Cahokia site is... Shitty. It's fairly depressed. Yes. Yeah. um i mean it was interesting too because you know we were in there like looking at the sort of like dioramas and the diagrams of where the houses and stuff used to be and so like outside the outside the boundary of the cahokia site there are these neighborhoods that really like mirror what was there at that time like that same kind of setup for a village yeah like there was a defensive wall that was built and there's monk's mound which is the largest earthen mound in at least North America. Mm. I don't even know if it's North America because there's no. It's um, they be said the it's States. the. They said yeah, North America because they said it's the largest north of South America. But I mean, <laughs> there's got to be some larger. No, they said no, Kevin. That's the largest in North America, according to the the museum. According to the, what we think we don't quote us on it. According to what we think we learned at the museum. Yeah. It's the largest. It surprised me because I big. forgot. Because there's, there's definitely like they southern Mexico. They did say it was Mexico the biggest there. though. In southern Mexico, there's some really large stuff. But it's... Oh, no, then it's not North America. It's just America. Oh, yeah. It's the largest... It's got to be the United States. 
Let's so just say like the Mound and Hopewell and all like all, I mean it's a, it's Mississippian culture, um, Mississippi Mississippi Valley civilization. Uh, number of civilizations exist in the Americas along the Mississippi River and going into the High River Valley. Uh, that had all kind of come and gone for the most part by the time uh, contact had spread to that point. Um, but I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, it was like this. There's a there was a defensive wall that was built around like there's Monk's Mound, which is the highest point, uh, and that's where the chief, like the primary chieftains, had lived, mm-hmm. uh, the priests had lived, uh, and the the where the wall is is nonsensical. Mm-hmm. It's like New York City putting up a defensive wall around Manhattan, mm-hmm. and it's like most of the people live outside of it. But they, I mean, mm-hmm. the civilization collapsed because they denuded everything. It was a floodplain. Uh, and they had domesticated, um, there's a lot of number of plants, but they did get maize and they had, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, there was like grain base. Uh, so, I mean, they had a kind of hard and fast collapse and, um, I mean, it's just like fascinating for me cause it's like living, again, living in the shadow of a dead civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, the Koki had actually been doing like their primary rock sourcing and stuff like that. Their initial breaks, uh, in an area that's like the far end West County of St. Louis. It was mm-hmm. like effectively i think it's about 40 or 50 miles from where the city center of cahokia would have been which at its peak cahokia was apparently larger than uh london at the same time Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was like it was it was a city i mean it was a full-on city it was a civilization uh it had been really expanding and it really just drowned itself out Mm -hmm. uh and there had been you know, the, the way they present these things is always saying it's like kind of contention, but there is a lot of evidence and it's been increasingly evidence to say what ended the civilization was like uprisings amongst like the commoners and then just abandoning the site. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to think about it. I mean, like in that perspective, we're always talking about resistance, right? how these things are going to go. And realistically, it's kind of fascinating because you think about like the evidence of a social standoff and social tension that we're going to be building mm-hmm. uh, alongside crop failure, alongside any kind of aspect of a changing climate, which mm-hmm. did have an impact on the growing there, which right. did have an impact on the the society in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, you cut down all the trees, you're going to have a bigger issue. Right. And you're uh, going to change the climate of the area, too. Yes. Yeah. These things have a massive impact. Right. Um but you see all these aspects of, like, you can see a better record of the buildup to a collapse, but the actual point of collapse, like, the, the, well, again, I, I say it all the time, I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. Collapse is a process, not an event. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that there's not, like, a point where it's, like, the pendulum shifts. Right. And it's done. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, definitively the thing is over. There might be some people, like, dicking around, but it's not. It's it's done. Right. Um, according to Joseph Tanner, it's the, the diminishing returns, like, Mm-hmm. Your passive peak, it can't sustain itself. It's right. it's done, um, and there can be a lot of like in terms of talking about collapse civilizations, like very contentious debates about how things ended. Um, and there's some stuff that's awesome, like mind thrones being smashed. So it was like a very symbolic ritual, which is like thing. music to my ears. Like just this is... tell me that every morning when I wake up. Like the mind thrones were smashed. The mind thrones were smashed. Like it's such like a beautiful idea and image and like fact. Yeah, and I will tell you that every morning. But, okay. Like great. I mean, something like that is like to leave a record behind. Like that is is massive and significant but like it was the priests and the chiefs and the upper classes that would have been doing any documentation mm-hmm. they weren't going to be documenting their decline mm-hmm. so like the the way that evidence would be left for any collapse civilization 
it's going to be like shortchanged on what actually happened at the very end, but it kind of puts into context. It's like, in the end, it doesn't matter. And anybody who's tried to say, and within collapse theorists and everything like that, they're always like, this is the thing that caused collapse. This is the thing that caused collapse. It's like, it's never one thing. Right. And a single causation is always bullshit. Right. It just never happens that way. It's a combination of things. Well, it's um, usually not, uh, it's not like from one day to the next, like things were going great and the next day it's collapsed. Yeah. It's not like an overthrow. It's not, it's not like that. It's not, yeah. it's not like one incident. It's not like, well, we've got this civilization and now there was some sort of revolution and some sort of overthrow and now the civilization's gone. Yeah. It's a much different process. Yeah. It's not like everybody's happy and healthy and fine. And then all of a sudden it's just like, meh. Right. Something's different. It's like, you know, there's, I mean, and there, obviously there have been a lot of sacrifices. Uh, there have been an increase in sacrifices and there have also been like decreasing health issues. Well, it was interesting because they showed us that movie about like the people and then as they were talking, the Cahokia people, and then as they were talking about it getting closer to like the time of collapse, they were really making the case for like the people were not happy. They were not healthy and things were bad for them. And then I looked at you and I was like, well, can't we say that about ourselves already? Like, can we just, like, start to make a video about ourselves that's, like, the people weren't happy, they were not healthy, things were declining. Like, if we can say that about them, we can certainly say that about ourselves. We can look at the documentary and be like, we're here. Right. Like, you are here on the guide map. We are here. <laughs> like, this is the end point. It's like, let's Here's see. where we are on the timeline. The climate was changing. Food, people were having massive health issues, and there was massive uprisings, massive unrest. People would turn more, in some regards, people turn more towards the religion, more towards, like, the the nationalism or a rising group identity, or even in that case, it would be tribalism. Right. Um, and, like, just, like, this increasingly, increasing fear of any kind of unknown. And, I mean, if you're seeing an increase in sacrifices, you're seeing an increase in, like, religious devotion, blind religious devotion. Absolutely. Uh, and then the unrest. Yeah. Is growing. We're, we're there. Right. But it's funny because, like, somebody will go there, right? and Or people will go there and they'll watch this video and they'll see all the sites and they'll see the, the whole evidence of collapse and then go to the gift shop and, like, go home. And it's like, well, I guess those people went wrong somewhere. I mean, yeah. we're in that right now. But I bought a Pueblo flute. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, everything's fine. We're good. Yeah. I got a cool, I got a cool trinket. It just really struck me. But it is, it is, it is hilarious in a sense, but it's also like tragic because it's like, you're looking at this thing. It's like, people are like, well, they had a civilization. It was gone. <laughs> Not us. We're fine. We're fine. We got it. We're smarter than these people who knew how to do everything pretty much. Like, like we're in it. They had minor specialization. We're living in it. Yeah. We have massive specialization and alienation. We have no idea how to do anything in this society. People are unhappy. They're unhealthy. Life is hard for them. Yeah. I mean, we're the things that they're saying, you know. Yeah. And there's just like that area of St. Louis is just run down. East side St. Louis is always been pretty horrible. There's a bunch of like oil refineries. Anybody I knew who grew up in that section of Illinois, uh, asthma and all kinds of health problems because the air is just trash. Yeah, it's crazy from the top of Monk's Mound. That's what it's called, right? There's, yeah. like, obviously a view because it's very flat. It's very flat out this way. So this is, like, quite tall, you know, where you, when you're at the top. Uh, and you can still go up to the top of it. There's all these steps that you climb up and you get up to the top. And really, it could be a really beautiful view, except you're in the midst of the city civilization. right so it is kind of beautiful like the sun the sunset was gorgeous you know the sky was beautiful the moon was up um but yeah the area is 
is toxic. Yeah, and you're yeah. looking across the highway at a dump, which is an earthen mound that is... Like a modern-day earthen mound. Like two times the size. Right. Like, they're just like, what can we build that's bigger and worse? It's just a really interesting juxtaposition of yeah. civilizations layered on top of one another. But, I mean, really, we are just continuing the line of collapse here yeah. now. And if you go a bit further down the highway, about 15 minutes further... Uh, there was a documentary that was made, I think it was HBO or something, did it, Atomic, um, Atomic something, I forget what it's mm-hmm. called. Uh, but there was a documentary made about a uh, dump in St. Louis County uh, that's on fire, that's got remains from the Manhattan Project uh, on one side of this dump, and then the other side is on fire, and then there's another site about another 15 miles from there that's also nuclear and it's like across the street from a school yikes it's like you're just like like from i i know people can be like oh you're super dramatic about the collapse and stuff like that it's like look at this oh you're super dramatic stop being so dramatic kevin <laughs> like but no it's like but it's like nobody paying attention to it. it's like i it's like talking about this stuff can feel like like you're standing on top of monk's mound waving your arms around yelling like it's also, all going down. But yeah. also, like, people were like, oh, well, we just watched a documentary. It's like, these people had a civilization, and then it was gone. How weird. It's like, no, it's not weird at all. You should be very familiar with all these things because we are living them. It was also interesting um, once we got to the top of the mound um, in, like, the perspective. First of all, it's very intimidating walking up to the top of the mound, right? So if you're talking about people who were being led to the top to be sacrificed, like, what a frightening and, like, awful fact that that was the thing that happened to people there. First of all, the whole place, like, kind of gives you chills up your spine. Like, it's mm-hmm. a, it's pretty eerie. But then at the top, it's you're for sure the highest thing around, right? So, like, the ruling class that sort of, like, worked and spent their time at the top of that mound, like, they created something for themselves that really, I mean, it would have given you a real feeling of, like, this is my fucking domain. Like, mm-hmm. you are at the top of the world when you're on that mound, you know, in this area. It was just, like, kind of fascinating to be up there. Yeah. And you can kind of feel, like, the, the like, the how scary that must have been for people. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't know if the, the trade networks in the Americas were insane. I don't know if Deterra ever made it up. I hadn't looked into it. Um, but, like, in a lot of, like, the uh, Mesoamerican civilizations, when they were doing um, sacrifices, they would give Deterra scopolamine. Hmm. And so it was kind of like a thing to make it look like yeah. you, the king had more right. It's like you give somebody this drug, they're susceptible to anything you tell them to do. So if you make it so that this person effectively is completely blown out of their minds, they're just like gone, but they're calm and they're listening. Unless you give them too much, then they go nuts. But like um, <laughs> they would be given like kings and priests would give that to their the prisoners so that they could be, like, walked to the altar and I'm going to sacrifice you and you're going to submit yourself willingly as a slave of war. It also made me wonder, like, we don't live in a way where, the where like, the hierarchy is so um, visibly portrayed to us. Like, here in St. Louis, like, the mayor of this town isn't sitting on top of a building, like, shouting out orders to us. But, like, it, I just thought it was interesting to think about, like, if you if you live that way where the, where it's so visible, right? Like, the, hier- the hierarchy is so visible. I wonder how that, like, affects you within that culture, within that civilization, differently than the situation that we have, where it's a little bit more, like, sinuous. And it's a little bit hard to figure out, like, well, where is that power source coming from? I wonder if that 
as a as a like person in that culture is it easier to identify who needs to be flipped to get out of that <laughs> or you know like what does that feel like because yeah. we don't have that our culture isn't like that although that does make it necessary like i've always felt like it's like it is a little more appropriate that we go out with the trump like somebody who does have his name on top of a tower and is just the lunatic yeah high rise. or maybe we are like that in yeah. some in some aspects and there are high rises yeah. and there are kings at the top or whatever you know but I mean, like, at the same time, that's why it makes it almost like more frightening when like there's this like liberal scourge to draw towards like these presidential candidates that are gonna be like, that's like every man or whatever. That's like every person. Like, yeah, I can identify with this person. It's like, no, you can't. If you're running for president, you're a terrible person. We say that all the time. If you are a person who's raising their hand, when when we go, who wants to be president? The people who raise their hands should be out of there. They're yeah. not in. They're gone. Like, you're, nobody wants you. Nobody wants to have like. You're not coming to the dinner table. Don't come to the society. You suck. Same like, thing with police. Like, when somebody goes, who wants to be a police officer? Anybody who's like, I want to be one, gone. Yeah, and not that we want those things anyway, but like the people who are standing up and raising their hands, like you shouldn't be those things. It's a red flag. You're, yeah. It's a, it's a <laughs> they go to the bottom of the list. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, you're a person I don't want to be around. Right. I'm going to walk away from For you. For sure. Or. You're starving for power. Yeah, you're starving for power. <laughs> You should starve. No, Kahuki was really interesting. I'm really glad that we went there. Yeah, it's kind of shocking. We, we, we've been slowly doing a tour of... Ruins. Ruins. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. We'll have more about it. <laughs> we're going to keep going with this tour. Yeah. But Kahuki was really, really fascinating. The mounds were also extremely impressive. And I was asking Kevin, because he knows more about it than I do, you know, did they have slaves? Was that a culture that had slaves? And I think he was like... Well, whether they called them slaves or not, yeah, you know, if there was a caste system, obviously, yeah. yeah. But it is interesting because we split our time between uh, St. Louis and Pennsylvania. Right. So it's like we're literally going up and down the Ohio River Valley, like, stretch. So, like, we're tracing the paths every week of, like, collapsed civilizations. We are. It, is, it, it feels has like been an, really interesting. It feels like an appropriate path for the work we do. And the, the time of our lives and the work that we do, and it's very it's all very appropriate. It is. But it also is, I mean, um, you know, when we were there, we started talking about it, and I think I said to you, so can we say for sure that, like, every civilization fails? Can yes. we say that every civilization that has existed in terms of how we define civilization, that ha- they collapse? Every yes. time they collapse, correct? Collapse, I mean, collapse in terms of, I mean, collapse really is a basic, like, a basic thing in terms of, uh, social theory like collapse is basically a reduction it's kind of a weak term mm-hmm. and, and, and realistically it's kind of a weak term in ways but we mean it most often in cases of like complete reduction but it can also mean like, as in a the shift culture is that culture or that civilization is reduced to nothing yeah so okay. like Tsarist russia collapsed and then industrial russia communist russia arose like okay. so it's like in a case like that even though there was a revolution there was there was a collapse like in the same sense, but it, you know in most cases it's like it can collapse and something else can eat it, which does happen all the which time. Which does happen. I mean, it's often. Like, yeah, and if you mm-hmm. enter something into a global system, it's no longer self reliant. It right. doesn't need to be proving itself on its own. Right. Um. So it's a totally different thing. So I mean, like, and this is one thing that Freddie Perlman has always gone on about. I think he did a great job. Like the many headed Hydra, uh, Leviathan is a beast of many faces, and then it's reduced to one. Hmm. I should have some quotes ready, but I'll just get them next time. I, yeah. I, I'm always going to be quoting Perlman. It's just going to happen. 
Yeah, just, two. just keep one handy. Yeah. Mm. Against History Against Wyvon. Great book. Love Freddy. I just I just started reading Freddy Roman. I'm late to the game, but it is he is fantastic. Yeah. And I'm awesome. I feel awful I'm so late to the game. Yeah, it's, it was okay. in, I'm behind. You <laughs> just head to have your way. We all have our paths. It's never too late. I can be a little slow with things. Pshaw. My pacing is slow. Um so uh, Oh, but anyway. Every civilization collapse is correct. Yes. So I think it's it ha it is a really good reminder and actually really inspiring, right? When we go to these ruins or like when we've been visiting these collapsed civilizations, of how tenuous this situation is. People need to be reminded of it. it I takes, need to be reminded of it. Yeah, it like yeah. it takes it's like all upkeep and it's it takes a lot to maintain a civilization. It's like it's you know, flying is it's like falling, you know. How long can you pull it off? If you're pushing carrying capacity, that's just what you're doing. Like, you're you're not going to be able to change it. You're not going to be able to break it. But the further you go, it's like a rubber band. The further you go, the harder back the f- it's going to go. The, or the faster it's going to fall, the harsher that return is going to be. Right. So, yes. I did say, too, I wish... The only thing that I really wish is, like, we could talk to the people that were there, like, at the end. Like, I wish that we could just, like interview them right now i just like want to know i want to talk to them i want to know what it felt like i want to know what it was like and like would we feel would we be instant sort of like kindred spirits we'd be like we know exactly how that feels like what what how was it for them it's like the the thing about is like things that we won't necessarily know is like what if there was like a whole class of like women that are just like i'm not grinding another kernel of corn again yeah i'm grind your own corn my back hurts i'm tired of it work sucks Mm -hmm. everybody hates work like, Everybody hates work. We met like, we we meet people all the time just at like random places that we go. We engage them in conversation and they're just like work sucks. And we're like, we know. Yeah, work sucks. <laughs> it sucks. And it doesn't matter what kind of society it is. Work sucks. Mm. Well, mm. repetitive tasks are awful. Yes. We're not made for them. No. No. No, 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 no. No. But yeah. Go get it. And we'll be talking more about our ongoing tour of ruins. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. It, it is. It's really interesting. But it's always great. It's great to be going to a collapse civilization. It is. It's a good reminder. Just it don't last. Um, but yeah, so going on to the next thing, let's talk about the Kickstarter. Kickstarter should be up any day now. Mm-hmm. We're going to finish it up. Uh, so the Kickstarter right now is the second edition of Origins, the John Zerzan mm-hmm. Reader. And Rites of Passage, Rites of Passage, which is Natasha's new book. Mm-hmm. We're very excited about and today, you're going to be reading a little bit from there. I do. Um, I have a couple of poems to read. So Origins is the collection of book or the collection of essays of John's, like what he's kind of like most known for. There's a couple of different things that John has really written a lot about and different kind of emphasis he's had. But in terms of the origins of anarcho-primitivism and asking questions and breaking from the left, uh, this was this was like a big thing. Like how far back does it really go in like this period of ecological waking and feminist awakenings and like just like a different global perspective on resistance mm-hmm. how far do these things go so i'm gonna read a little bit from my introduction to origins which the second edition is a lot different first off the layout in the first one is still the embodiment of like punk zine layout it just didn't look as good uh, but like uh the, the the layout looks a lot better 
I can say that much. And I know that doesn't necessarily mean a lot to everybody, but it does mean a lot to me. And also it just makes it more enjoyable to read as a book. Uh, but the origins essays are those initial questions uh, and really kind of going to the core of, of John's work about where did civilization arise from? Where, where does power arise? And like, what are the implications of it? So the second edition has... Uh, I think there was four essays we took out and four essays we put back in. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a significantly different book, and I think it's a much better book. Uh, but I'll read a little bit from my introduction uh, just to give an idea if you're not familiar. Uh, but at this point, I would say that, you know, if you're looking for John's work, if you're looking for a good place to get started, if you're interested in understanding kind of the route that uh, the anarcho primitivist critique of civilization came from in terms of coming from the anarchist world, this is a great place to start. That's it. This is from my introduction. Uh, the basis of the origins work is built upon the understanding that civilization is the embodiment of a social structure based on a rigid division of labor, political and religious power, extreme specialization, and the domination of plants and animals. Technology is instrumental in its expansion and day-to-day -day existence. Domestication of humans is crucial to the prolonging of civilization alongside non-human animals and plants. The search for origins, as laid out here, takes us through the potential roots, the changes in human history that made domestication possible. The primary culprit here is symbolic thought, that is thought removed from direct experience as typified in language, art, and ultimately embodied by writing and numbers. It is perhaps these areas that have been the most contentious in John's writings, as the archaeology regarding language and art in our collective ancestry is extremely speculative, as well as well as the origins of hunting and the forging of tools or weaving of cloth. But to write this off as a condemnation is a false as to claim language or art itself necessarily leads to an alienated perspective. The purpose is primarily to point out the means by which a domesticated reality could be spread, and language, as we've seen through the millenniums of colonization, has always been, a has always been central to underlying a med uh, mediated worldview. Agriculture, written history, colonization... These are all things with far less speculation. They are purely civilized phenomena and the is products of our proud fathers of progress who catalog them thoroughly. And this is the area where the origins leads us to inevitably. But thanks to John's work here and his copious work beyond this realm, we have a stronger grounding for both the questioning and the action. We are left with the purpose to ask more questions, to demand more, to see beyond the corpse of the left, and to lay ways to the grasp of the civilizers upon our interactions to reconnect with the world and the relationships that lay within it. As the situation has put it decades ago, and John never fails to quote without his characteristic optimism, under the pavement of the beach. Only this time, we mean it literally. So that's one of the two books. So good. <laughs> so good. Yeah, and I'm very excited, very eager for that. But I'm also exceptionally excited about the second, or I'm sorry, not the second, the first edition. Also, oh, the, that book, that Origins book, that that book, you know, looks beautiful. The way that you have laid it out now, um, and the cover that it's going to have and everything, it's really, like, a really wonderful, like, reworking of a classic. Thank if you, you will. Mm -hmm. Speaking of reworking a classic? I don't know if we can call it a classic yet. But... Liminal. <laughs> no, we can't call it a classic yet. Liminal, we can't. It's a classic in the black and green canon, because it... It did really great. People loved it. It sold out. But isn't there like an actual definition for for being a classic? 
Okay, we can nitpick about it. We'll, we'll do that off air. But I'm going tomato, to call it tomato, tomato, uh-huh. tomato, 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 <laughs> tomato. Um, but yeah. So, anyways, within the black and green realm, mm-hmm. it's an instant classic. Mm. There you go. Mm. Boom. Thank you again for saying such nice things. But yeah, it was regarded very highly, and uh, yeah, I loved it. And I think that pretty much everybody that has read it, I've always gotten great reactions to it. Um, but yeah, would you like to talk about it or would you like to read something? Are we talking about liminal specifically or are we talking about rites of passage? We're talking about rites of Where passage. are we going with this? Okay, so... Let's talk about the I mean, I could life. read... The things that we pulled out to read tonight from rites of passage are two poems, but now that I'm sitting here thinking about this, maybe we should also... Maybe maybe we should read a piece of something that's not poetry from that book. Does it matter? Should we go with poetry? Okay. We can read more. We can go on with this. It's not once and done. No. Um, The books stick with us. Yeah, well, uh, so are are we wanting to talk about Rites of Passage in general? We touched on it a little bit in the last podcast. I don't know exactly what we said. (laughs) No, we we talked about a little bit like what's included in it. Um, The reworking of the liminal. Yeah. Um, That's the first section. The second section is a section of poetry, which we were like, it's not, it's not lame. Poetry and prose. Basically. It's not lame. lame. Trust me. And then, which actually is, I probably should talk about poetry a little bit. Poetry kind of can get a bad rap that it's sort of lame. Some people feel like they hate it. Posers. But there's a lot of shitty poetry. Well, there's a lot of shitty poetry, but there's a lot of shitty writing. True. But. But people feel very. Also, poetry doesn't have to be a certain thing. Right? It doesn't have to be like what you learned in English class. It's, it's just a really some in it, at its core, I think it's a really like simple way of expressing yourself with words. And I have talked about this before, and it's worth bringing up again here. Anything that you learn about writing in high school and probably even in college is trash. Right. You should tie it to it a was, rock and throw it in a river. Like yeah. it's nothing. It's a nothing. It's it's like the way that and I've gotten submissions and I've had to talk about it before, but I've had an episode about my writing process. Uh, and I've had people send stuff for the journal or send stuff for just anything mm-hmm. in general that's like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. Here's three points. And then I'm just going to tell you what I told you again. Mm-hmm. The only reason that exists is because teachers have to grade a lot of papers. And they want to know very quickly. The format. The format. Where are we going? Like, it's it's basically a multiple choice thing that's just expanded a little bit. Yeah. Nobody wants to read that. Right. Nobody wants to be told what they're going to be told. Just tell them what you want to say. And then presented in a way that's like worth reading right so that stands for anything and i feel like it stands particularly for poetry i think that um like i um i feel like people have a certain idea about it and then i like to encourage people to write like one of the things that i like to do is to encourage people to write writing is a wonderful like incredible way of like accessing um emotions like sort of connecting with the things that you're feeling inside right and then there's like also there's a there's an aspect of um like making those feelings sort of like appear in the physical realm like that is an that's a really powerful process right so i mean for me poetry is just this sort of like really like raw like expression of how i feel about things um so anyway then there's the part that's poetry and then there um my mother's name was ludmila um she went by lucy but the third the third part of rites passage is 
and I think I said this last time, some some writing that I did uh, during the time that she was um, sick with cancer and then um, when she was passing and then the period of time immediately afterwards. Um, so that's kind of what's in the book. Yeah. But I do want to touch on this a little more, actually. Mm-hmm. I think maybe at some point, like I said, I did an episode before. I talked about my writing process mm-hmm. and uh, things like that. I think it'd be awesome for you to do that, too. Talk about my writing process? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, not necessarily right now. But yeah. I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot because I've done the book recommendations thing. Some of your favorite poets. Go. Um, well, I, I really love Joy Harjo right now. I, Louise Erdrich writes beautiful poetry. Um, you are totally putting me on the spot. I'm also like horrible about thing. I'm like horrible about thinking of things on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, I can't think of. I cannot think of this this way. Okay, I won't put you <laughs> on the spot. You next know time. I can't do that. I my pacing is such. You're gonna ask me this question in like two days from now. I'm gonna be like, oh, and I love this poet. Like I it's, can't. It's absolutely true. <laughs> I I, my brain doesn't work that way. No, we'll come back and I want to get some book recommendations for me as well. Don't put me on the spot for that. I'm not going to do that. Either. Talk amongst yourselves <laughs> while we argue. Yeah, yeah. I can say that I know some of your favorite books. If you would like to do my I've already We've already had this conversation privately. If you would like to be the one to uh, put the recommendations out there, I'm fine with that. But... Uh, just for those of you who don't know me, my brain doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, we'll, we'll come back. Why don't we do this in another episode? When I, like, but, write it down on a piece of paper. But Joy Harjo is fucking great. <laughs> She's amazing. She's amazing. That's yeah, a good starting point. That's a good starting point. Uh, oh, Natasha Tucker. That's a really good one. No, you Start can't. There. You can't use your own. Well, you can't use your... Kevin, you can't use yourself in the recommendation list. Well, no, I'm saying mine. <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's get to the poem. Let's Talk amongst yourselves. Poem. We're having a lover's quarrel. <laughs> yeah, we have a couple. So uh, two that you're going to read? I'm going to read two. You're going to read two? Which one are you doing first? Which one are you doing uh, I'm going to do The Civilization Only Loves the Living When They're Dead. So let me preface this one real quick. Because this is one of my favorite things ever written. And I've always said, I could write a million books. I'm reading this because Kevin loves it so much. (laughs) I I do. Uh, I've written a million books, and I feel like I I haven't written this. Like, this is, like, better than everything. Like, you could take all this stuff and just, like... I have a verbosity that is counteracted by... You're saying so yeah, many nice this. things about me. It's no, true. Like, thank you for saying these all these wonderful things. But even the line "Civilization only loves the living when they're dead" is like amazing. I mean, thank you, thank you. I love you. Thank you. I love you too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we made up <laughs> while you we were talking amongst yourselves. We made up. We're fine now. We're back. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> okay, tune back in. Um. So it's called Civilization Only Loves the Living When They're Dead. Um, it was inspired by, um, it, it's inspired by, like, you know when you go to a natural history museum, which we just did recently. We mm-hmm. went to the one in Chicago, which is, I believe is called the Field Museum. Yes. Um, and you go to a natural history museum, and generally there are 
like a bazillion stuffed animals, like dead animals that have been stuffed. And obviously like earlier in earlier times, it was absolutely acceptable to go like harvest all different types of actually living things, bring them back, uh, you know, kill them, bring them back and then stuff them to like put on display in museums or whatnot. So a lot of these museums, these collections are very old. It's it, this like mostly is not happening in America anymore. I would hope. Right. Do you know, do you know anything about this? Is this still sorted. happening? I mean, we, we were talking about, like, we actually brought this up the other day, like, between you and I. You and I brought this up? Yeah, these people don't know. <laughs> the we fools. weren't talking to them. We were talking to you guys. We were listening. <laughs> we're talking in the car. Jeez. But no, like, uh, Bodies the Exhibition is a new thing that's been going around for We a were while. talking about that. That's true. And it's been, I think, I mean, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I, I, th- I think I'd seen it, like, 10 years ago. Um, and there's been a lot of controversy that the bodies the human bodies that were used to make those displays were from like chinese prisoners so we do with humans we definitely do with animals right it's like saying there's no life so then we, we like let's not go so far as to say this isn't happening anymore we, like, they we, probably we, is still we happening not only cannot say it i think we can definitively say it's happening it's happening the interesting thing about natural history museums is, like, as somebody who, like, loves learning about the natural world, I do appreciate the, going to them and learning about things. It is always a little bit horrifying to see these stuffed animals, right? It's, yes. like, a little bit grotesque. And they're, like, on display, like, and on like behind glass, and it's, like, part of you is kind of, like, I want to, like, take these beings out of these glass cases and bury them and, like, put them away so they can rest right like it's part of it is like horrifying and then part of it is like fascinating because it might be things that you haven't seen before so there's this like there's this like there's some hard feelings that you have when you're like seeing these things right but then i um this particular poem i wrote after i um and like i call them poems but like i don't know they're just like little small pieces of writing right so we love words and we hate them yeah we're like we're in a war with them This is love hate. Um, <laughs> we have no words for the weapons we use. <laughs> um, but uh, this particular piece was written after seeing a gorilla like behind glass, like that, right? So like a stuffed gorilla. Um, and I was just thinking, like, boy, we really in our culture, like, we cannot stop like annihilating everything, basically. Like we we like. We cannot stop killing things. We cannot stop turning living things into dead things. Like, we do not appreciate the living things enough to keep them alive. But then as soon as they're dead, we, like, exalt them and put them behind glass. And we're like, look at these things. Look at these things. But they're, like, it's the same living beings that people are, like, kind of, like, like wolves, for example, right? There's a very long uh, relationship a very toxic relationship that civilization has with wolves. It's like, we hate them. Um, civilization hates them. You know, farmers hate them. We, we destroy them. We, we like, we will murder entire species of living beings, um, because we find them, you know, uh, offensive in some way. And then we will put them in a glass case and like march past them and, like, think about how amazing they are. Like, it's so, it's so, like, sick, really, right? So I was just thinking about that um, when I wrote those. 
And in the grand narrative of things, it's like no matter whether or not they're being exalted in this way, it's like these are still trophies. They're and trophies. So, and it's like seeing it turned into something else. Like in the Field Museum, uh, it's like a, when you first walk in the entrance, we went in, um, there's a there's a silverback gorilla. It was, was it named Bushman? Yeah, his name is Bushman. And it will, I mean, that was real, that gorilla was really similar to like what the, the what this was written about. It was like the same kind of thing. Yeah, but also. They're not in the same area. There's there's not silverbacks in the Calvary. No. Like, it's like there's so many weird things about it. It's just like, ah, oh, you fuckers. But also, they did have the skulls of the lions of Savo. They, I was just going to say that same thing. We were, like, pretty knocked out by that. Which is, like, two lions that had, killed, had stalled a railroad program. It was in Africa. Do you remember where? No, we took some photos of the information. Like, we should revisit this again. I didn't it's a plan really on, interesting story. I didn't yeah. plan on bringing it up, so it's like a little iffy. We didn't fact check this. We didn't fact check it. No. But it was like it held off a railroad being built for months and had resulted. I think they killed between the two of them. These lions. Killed, yeah. These two lions that killed like 30 people. Yeah, but they also like, prevented the railroad from being built for months. These lions are heroes. And their skulls are on display in an enclosed, climate-controlled thing in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great idea to think about. The other weird thing about that museum is that the entire bottom floor, like a large portion of it, is the cafeteria. Uh, But the cafeteria exists within, like, these types of, like, glass displays of stuffed animals of ocean of ocean species. Yeah. So, like, you're there's, like, people eating ham sandwiches, but there's these, like, amazing displays of, like, whales and walruses. <laughs> it's like a picnic table on a narwhal. Yeah, it's a ve- it was very strange. It was, it, was, it was, like, surreal. It's, like, it's like so pedestrian that you can't even call them trophies. It's just, like, wallpaper. But this is a... Come on. So, like, like, that whole experience is very much sort of, like, this idea of, like, civilization only loves the living when when they're dead. I think we prefaced it pretty well. Which I'm going to read right now. It says, for them, one day when the ruins of these cities lay in sparkling shards around our feet, we will tenderly lift the lifeless bodies of those once alive from their displays in museum basements and on library shelves, from the walls of restaurants, living rooms, and dens, and we will dig sacred burial sites with ceremonial tools and sing our apologies into their glassy eyes and frozen hooves. We will place them tenderly in broken ground and cover them with cool and ancient soil where they belong. We couldn't love them while they lived, so we killed them or waited with bated breath for their deaths, made them frozen and stuffed the same way we feel inside because civilization only loves the living when they're dead. May the wild ones run free again someday. Even in a dim museum hallway, he is beautiful. He, he meaning the gorilla that I wrote that about. Yeah. But fantastic. Take a moment. <laughs> Thank you. You're making me blush. No, it's just... <laughs> Phenomenal. I think it's great. I love it. And it sums up so much. I can't speak highly enough. I know you like that one. I love this book so much I'm putting it out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we are. Thank you for doing so. Um, and then I was just going to read another short one called Go Home to the Land. Um, so this is also from Rites of Passage. 
go home to the land. It may be the land your ancestors lived and died on, the land they fought for with their own spilled blood. It may not be. Either way, go to the land you call home. Lay down on the cool earth and look up at the stars. They may be few, the barest glimmer through light-polluted sky, or they may be many. Either way, look up. Feel yourself held, somewhere between spinning earth and endless universe. Let your heartbeat fall into step with the soft sighing of the world around you. Be still and beg for forgiveness. Talk to the plants, the animals, the water, the soil, anyone who will listen. We've made terrible mistakes, caused endless suffering. We beg for mercy now, but mercy is not what we deserve. Sing. Clear, sweet melodies and wailing, wild lamentations. Languages all life forms understand. We have been separated for far too long. It's time to go home to the land. There you have it. There we have it. Two of the poems from the poem part, or the poems and prose, in rites of passage. <clears throat> so that section is called uh, "A Song of a Thousand Small Things," which is a great title. It's a beautiful title. Yes. But I feel, yeah. I mean, you kind of like. You kind of, like, figured that one out. It's beautiful. It works. So, uh, but yeah, I'm very excited about that. And the Kickstarter for both of those books, we're going to be doing one um, for the two of them. Uh, and that's going to be up any day now. So, maybe even today. It's technically the sixth. You never know. We're, you know, we're night owls. We're night owls. We do things... In the night. We have a vampirish existence. I actually really keep laughing about it because Kevin and I have both always been night owls. And so now that we're able to, uh, like, raise children together, um, we do sometimes take them to the playground in the dark of the night under the full moon. We clean sweep literally everything. We're we the do. last people everywhere. Yeah, it's such, like, it's so vampire to take your children to play on the playground under the full moon in the dark. But it's also so fun and beautiful. It is. It's a great way to do it. We encourage it. It is. And no one else is there at that time. No one else. <laughs> no. You got the place yourself. You do. All right. Um, but yeah, so that Kickstarter is going to be going up. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about that. And Tegan White, the amazing Tegan White, is working on the cover art right now. For this Their book. art is so amazing. Look up Tegan White. Support Tegan White. Mm-hmm. They have, uh, actually, I think they just put up some new prints too. And they make t-shirts, correct? There are some t-shirts. Yeah. I mean, just the artist is so beautiful. If you find a Tegan White who is not an amazing artist, that's a poser. That's an imposter. Get out of there. <laughs> Go look up Tegan White. Amazing stuff. Yeah. Strong encouragement. <clears throat> I'm so excited about that. Also, I want to give a shout out to Detritus Books, who mm-hmm. just put out a new book called Defiance. Um, I don't remember the byline. Uh, somewhere around here, uh, but it's basically like anarchist statements to juries. Uh, it's a yeah. I haven't even book. gotten to look through it yet, but it looks amazing. I was like digging through it a bit, and it's basically just like anarchist statements to judges, um, like upon sentencing. Uh, but also a friend of ours, Dylan Garrett Smith, who's done some work with Black and Green before, um, did a cover on it or did art for the cover, and it's phenomenal. But Detritus is. Friends of Black and Green, uh, and we've uh, they put out uh, John Zerzan's Time and Time Again, mm. which Black and Green currently does carry as well. But great stuff. But that's a killer cover mm. and also a very cool book. Mm-hmm. Excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of our picks of the week. <laughs> uh, 
so I guess that's going to wrap up most of that episode, but let's, uh, let's just finish this out. It's December 6th. We're getting towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know we've talked about it a number of times. We're going to talk about it a lot. It's going to keep coming up. Ways you can support Black and Green. Mm-hmm. Um, Natasha's new webpage, natashatucker.org, mm-hmm. is up now. Uh, there's some information on there, and you're going to have a Patreon up any day. Yes, yeah, so all these things are sort of like happening at the same time. Yeah, the Kickstarter for mm-hmm. the new books is going to be up any day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, kevintucker.org, which is my personal webpage, and uh, Patreon's up there. Like, really, any way that you support anything that we're doing supports all of the things. Our life is black and green. Our life is right. writing. Uh, and I, I've talked about it on the last episode. I'll keep bringing it up. Uh, the main book I've been working on, I have been calling it Of Gods and Country. Uh, now we're going with the, the working title, mm-hmm. Scars of a Hungry God. Hungry God. Mm-hmm. Which is a really amazing title. Yeah. Like, so... I don't um, know. We don't know if it will stay that title, but, I mean... You, but that's how it could go somewhere. Yeah. But I think that that's probably going to be the title. It's about missionaries and missionaries as agents of colonization. Um, it's, it's a tome. I have to say, if you enjoy Kevin's work, which I assume that you probably do if you're listening to this podcast, this is, like, by far the most... Like, the mo- his writing has just gained so much, like, momentum, and it's so solid. Like, this is... It's... This book is incredible. This book is incredible. Thank you. And it's, like, extensive. It's very extensive. Yeah. And I, I think that there's things I'm talking about doing on the side to help build it and trying to figure out ways that, like, to bring it to the Patreon and encourage people to work, to help them. Like, realistically, you know, really going out, like, writing right now. And, and I've done the research for the book. There's still more to be done. Um, there's a lot more writing to be done. But, like, you know, if, like, I've got three books out right now. If we could sell fifty to seventy five mm. books of fifty to seventy five each of those books a month, it can make enough to help support me to work on this book for six months and then it can be done. Right. But, I mean and it's gonna be like it's hefty. Like there's a lot in it so far and it's right. it's, it's so valuable though. It's like uh and Kevin is able to impart such like I mean, some of it is really difficult information to take in. It's really heavy. It's missionaries and colonization. It's gross. But you're able to do it in such a way that it feels like somebody is telling you a story, that you're telling this, like, you're telling a story. So it's very, like, it's really, um, it's very, like, in just an engrossing read. But also, like, we keep talking about, like, okay, what what are we doing here? Like, what are, where is the information where you can point somebody to and say, like, read this. Like, this is going to explain... So many things. This is going to explain, like, why we're anti-civ and what that means and, like, what we're doing and why we're trying to, like, help people understand, you know, that there's another way to live, that kind of thing. Like, that information ends up coming across in this book in this really amazing way. So, it's a really important one. And also, people need to know, missionaries remain a very active force. Like, this isn't an going thing. It's like, it, it popped up on the radar when John Chow got killed last year. Or I guess this year, um, I think. Yeah, I don't but know. like, I don't um, remember if it was twenty nineteen. You know, these things are they're they're continually happening. These are huge things that are happening, and they they draw back through the history of civilization. But predominantly in a post World War Two world, it's just like reinvigorated. Mm. Uh, and a lot of the book is about post World War Two, but it goes back um, and just kind of like draws on these, just pulling on all these strings. Uh, and one thing I had talked about doing. 
I, I think I mentioned on the podcast, but maybe like as like an incentive to go alongside um, the research I'm doing, but to like try and start cataloging uh, indigenous resistance by attacking missions and missionaries, mm-hmm. which has been a lot. And I've done or like Black Green's done a couple shirts now related to that, which have been hits. Mm-hmm. Um, and but yeah, no, that's what we want. We want it on the front line. We want people to be like. Wait, no, no, no. Missionaries are a huge threat in the world. And these people have had flown under the radar so much that you can find information about individual missionaries like everywhere. These people have gone on without being given any shit at all. Mm-hmm. And here they're major force for colonization. Mm-hmm. So, like, let's put some fire under them. I mean, like, people should be protesting outside plowshare crafts in 10,000 villages. Mm-hmm run by the Mennonite Central Committee, which is one of the largest missionary organizations in the world. And also it should be encouraging us, as something I think we'll discuss later, to flush out missionary tendencies within activist scenes themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And just really trying to focus on that. But um, supporting those things are all great. If you go to blackandgreenpress.org, that's the umbrella page. The page has been redone. Mm-hmm. It's much better now, and it's a lot easier to understand the relationship between all the pages. It's easy to navigate. And you'll notice, though, that all the support and all the stuff about how to donate and all these things pretty much go to the same couple places, or the same couple links, which go to the same single place. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you support the work, it goes a long way. It's a huge help. Um, Black and Green is an expensive thing to be doing, uh, but we really want to keep doing it, and printing books is expensive. Absolutely. we We want people to be reading the books. So talk about the podcast, talk about the books, pick up the books. Um, and if you're, you know, we're getting towards the end of 2019, uh, if people read, I had my books, Cold Personality came out in January or February, I think January, February, I don't remember. Uh, and then For Wild Miss Anarchy came out just a couple months ago, the second edition. Mm-hmm. If you love them and they mm-hmm. make it on your top 10 list for 2019, that would be awesome if you share that. Mm-hmm. If you write reviews for them anywhere. That's great. Please do write reviews, too. Yeah. That's, like, a fantastic thing to do. And also, I really want to encourage people to do things like... I. So, the, the shipping depot where I was picking up some of the black and green books, whenever the shipping got messed up, um, was actually... It's right down the street from Cahokia. So interesting. So, like, I've done things like whenever I announced um, Freddie Perlman's book, Anything Can Happen, being in, like, I went to the top of Monk's Mountain and took pictures there. Like, if you, like... Like, take the books on a tour. Oh, that's like, such so a good idea. Like, take pictures of the book in ruins and, like, all Also, send us pictures of ruins. Yeah, send us pictures of ruins. Actually, I've mentioned that online before. Come on, send them. We, I, we, we love them. We eat them. We cannot get enough pictures of ruins to be working with. I, well, we can't, actually. We we do need them, but it, they're, but ruins are also really beautiful. Also, not only ruins, but, like, anything that's to do with, like, resistance or something like that. Like, if you happen to be going to an area where it's like, oh... I mean, my temple that has a throne smashed. Send us photos. Yeah, we want these photos. We want to see these things. We want Mm -hmm. to fucking feel like a visceral We're starving for those. We are. Mm -hmm. Feed us. Feed us. Feed us, us, please. We're grist for the mill. Wild Resistance number six came out early in 2019. So casual on that. And also... Gathered Remains came out in 2018. It's I was not going to say Gathered Remains. I feel like, like, I think that if you're kind of like new-ish to these ideas or you want to like introduce these ideas to somebody that you know, Gathered Remains is a great place to start. 
I think it's really accessible to many different people. The so idea is in that book. We had talked about before, you and I have talked about, and I think we'll probably end up doing it maybe on one of the next episodes. Like I had talked about doing a, a kind of like guide to things I've written. Because mm-hmm. um, you have a like, huge catalog of work now. You've been writing for many years. Like for Wildness and Anarchy, I tend to think of as more introductory. But Gathered Remains is written in a way that's like, it's much more detailed mm-hmm. and much more in depth. Um, and I, I talked about it a number of times, but like Society Without Strangers and Hooked on a Feeling, two essays in that book, the, the, they make it the majority of that book. Yeah. Like, but I feel like Gathered Remains would be appealing to like a wide array of people. Yes. Like people who are interested in ecology, people who are interested in the natural world in any way, people who are interested in sort of like, um, I don't know, all kinds of sort of like cultural issues and I mean it's there's so much good like meat in that book that would appeal to a lot of different people thank you but uh I mean I I, but I do really strongly encourage obviously the books I'm going to be most likely to promote on my own are the two newest ones which are Cold Personality Mm -hmm. and Gather Remains um and Cold Personality again I'm like really fucking proud of that book um and it's very timely and I know a lot of people still are like I don't know about reading a book about ayahuasca the book's about colonialism. I was going to say, it's, it is, it does touch on that subject, but it, it is, is about not, ayahuasca, not a about fact ayahuasca. book about ayahuasca. It's about so much more than that. Yeah, and it's, and it's also a really beautiful story calling attention to something really heinous that happened. Yeah. I really hope people read it. Mm. But that's an offshoot. Like, I wrote that book like as an offshoot in a way of Scars of a Hungry God. So if you want to talk about, like, colonialism and some of these things, what it looks like, it's mm. like... You know, in this case, you can't, it's, it's inextricable from, like, the work of missionaries. And, in fact, that book goes into detail about missionaries and resistance to missionaries um, and also the role of ecotourism as, like, a fill-in for missionary work. Right. But, um, yeah. I think we should point out, too, that it's, like, something that's been rattling around in my mind, that in this age of uh, internet facts and social media, uh, reading books is, like, a huge act of resistance. Like, really picking up a book and reading it the whole way through and giving it to people and passing that book around and talking about it, that has become an oddly sort of like I don't know what would you say it's not happening as much as it once was no but our brains do take in the information we read in books differently than the information we read online in articles and in like blurbs so it's it is it has become strangely an act of resistance in itself actually I haven't talked about Nicholas Carr's and Shallows as much in Mm. a while but I mean like that's it's like a huge thing that's a massive thing if you're reading something that's got interactive text your brain just doesn't process the same if it doesn't have an actual experience and like I mean it's like You've got all these senses, and you're like, I'm going to use one. Right. It just doesn't come in the same way. And having a physical book, I mean, this stuff matters to us. We, we, we love books. Mm-hmm. We're nerds about mm-hmm. it. And, like... But I bet some other people are, too. And even if you're not, give it a shot. <laughs> Try this of, new thing called reading. Have you heard of a book? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I know that, like, Primal Arcus, it we can make kind of an odd thing to be, like, the consequences of written language are detrimental and it's a huge part of the domestication process but at the same time like it's better than the alternative like mm-hmm. don't get your like i mean, I mean or read again, these books 
And then tell people the stories in them. I mean, you know, there are different ways to go about this, but it's like, it is certainly a way within this cultural setting that we have grown up in, that we are from. It is a way to pass stories around. Yeah. It's a way we're familiar with. And that's why we do it, and that's why we put a lot of time and effort into working on these books. And again, you and I are going to be having a lot of books coming out. We are. Even in the next year. We are also attending the Rewilding Conference. Yes. Um, in Portland, Portland, right? Yep. Uh, and that's put on by what do they, what do they call themselves? The Rewilding uh, Pete Urban Scout. Yes, but what is the school? Oh, Rewild called? Portland. Rewild oh. Portland. Yes, yes. Um, so we are really looking forward to that. That'll be the first thing that we're kind of like attending in a long time and attending together, mm-hmm. and we'll be talking there. Yeah, I'm looking. We'll be to presenting. That. Yeah, so. Um, definitely look into that if you aren't already thinking about going. That is, uh, um, uh, I hear really good things about that conference. Yeah. And we're really, really looking forward to attending. Yes. Well, that'll be, that'll be great. Mm. So we'll be taking That's in there. January. That's in January. January 23rd? Mm-hmm. The 26th? We looked Something like that, yeah. And I already forgot. Yeah. We're not great with calendars. And also, hopefully, we'll be doing, <laughs> ideally, we'll be doing a couple of gigs around that. Mm-hmm. That'd be nice. I think let's not say ideally. Let's say we're doing it. We're doing it. So again, if anybody has any ideas for places we should go or places we could speak or, you know, that kind of thing. We're doing it Send us a message. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a shot. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that'd be great. Um, But yeah, so the books, support them. There's a bunch of new shirts. Put three new shirts up. Mm. uh, And they're going pretty quick. They're getting taken off well. Yeah. They're really nice shirts. Yeah. They're comfy. They look great. <laughs> I've been wearing them. <laughs> um, so yeah, blackandgreenpress.org is the parent page, and all the information is on there. Support the work; it goes a long way. Tell people about the podcast, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last episode was the first one with Natasha on as co-host, and mm-hmm. she'll be on forever. And we're gonna be doing everything. <laughs> Thank together. you for having and me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be doing more episodes and also we're going to start doing interviews hopefully very soon we're lining some up mm-hmm. and we're very excited about mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. yes that is definitely upcoming like very shortly we figured we get a couple under our belt uh, together and then that is definitely upcoming so that I think that'll be really fun and I'm I'm really interested in talking to other people on here and see where that all goes yeah but also uh, I'm just going to mention again well, I didn't mention it before, so but we did mention before about the idea of like graphic novels and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, like different ways to present some of the information. Mm-hmm. And you and I had mentioned um, cold personality and liminal specifically as ideas that we talked about that this very day. This very day is what would those look like if they were graphic novels? Give us ideas. And if you have read those books and it, you are an artist and images immediately come to mind, please converse with us about those. Yeah. We're excited about the idea. Mm-hmm. We want some different formats. We want some different things. And we want to be able to, like, like particularly, like, uh, you know, like with Cold Personality and even um, Scars of a Hungry God, there's stories in there uh, about missionaries of colonization that I think could do well, mm-hmm. like, from a, a graphic perspective. Yeah. Yeah, we've been kind of, like, in researching um, graphic novels and comics and that kind of thing and kind of delving into that world a little bit more. And um, certainly it's, like, a beautiful way to tell a story. Basically, yeah. we're always looking for new ways to tell stories. Yeah. we got a lot of stuff that's coming out. We're working 
around the clock. (laughs) Get back to work, Kevin. (laughs) It is 2.30 a.m. We are are, are working around the clock. We We did go to the movies today. We did go to the movies today. But, yes, in general, Mm -hmm. we're... Sometimes we take a break to go to the movies. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I mean, there's there's a lot of awesome stuff. We're very excited about it. Please, please help us talk about it. Encourage people to look into it. Mm -hmm. Review the stuff. Talk about it. And I would love to see more people like, hey, this is an awesome book. Uh, Like from Black and Green. This is what I like. Take a picture of it with some ruins. Yeah. Take a picture of it anywhere. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, our ultimate goal is to sort of, like, get these ideas out there and get people involved and sort of, you know, use this as a platform for, um, you know, growing this, like, whole kind of movement at large. The groundwork has been laid. We're ready. We're going. 20th anniversary. 20th anniversary. 20th anniversary laid. It's been laid. It's been laid. (laughs) (laughs) However you want to take that. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so again, primalanarchy.org is the website. Well, not again, I didn't mention it before. Primalanarchy.org is the website for the podcast. We mm-hmm. are available on all major podcast networks or whatever. I don't even know how to say it. The podcast things, the platforms. We're not sure about They're that. They're on the things. Yeah. It's on the things. Uh, and also Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. We are on there and we do support them. And um, check out everything else that's on there. Um uh, primalarchy.org though has all the back episodes if you're having trouble on any other platform finding them blackandgreenpress.org is the parent page and you can find everything from that one now it makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. but also kevintucker.org natashatucker.org it's like a f- lot of websites you have a lot of websites wildresistance.org is the journal by the way but what you're saying is they're all they're all located on the one main page if you, you get can get one, to all of them if you get the one you'll find them all Okay, there you go. But also, I, I don't know if I mentioned last time, Wild Resistance, uh, it's not dead or anything like that. It's just a little bit on hiatus for reconfiguring a couple things. I think you touched on that it's taking a bit of hiatus. If I did not, but it's it's, it's definitely good. There were some will definitely be coming out, or in some form. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll, it's coming, mm-hmm. but not just yet. Mm-hmm. So if you send in submissions and I did not get back to you yet, it's because they're sitting there waiting to be dealt with. Not because they've been ignored and not because they've been trashed or anything like that. I appreciate everybody's patience and I very, very much appreciate people who have written in and sent up submissions. I should be getting back to you hopefully shortly. Mm-hmm. But life's been chaos. It has. It's, we're trying to get it. We're, it's, we're getting it together. We're getting it together. Yeah. But Oh, you know what we forgot to say? When we went to Cahokia, we saw a sandhill crane. We did see a fucking sandhill We thought crane. it was a great blue heron. And then we crept a little closer. Its movements were very different. It was much larger. We snuck up on it. It had much different colors than a great blue heron. And because it was eating. It, was, it was catching so many fish. It's. They're fishing hunters. Yeah, it was really amazing. So that, that was, was like, exciting. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fist bump. Fist bump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm. We will catch you next time. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Bye.